0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who can explain how to pick the best indoor garden for your needs. We're talking with Angelo Kelvakis about indoor garden systems. Angelo is a graduate of Loyola University, Chicago, where he studied environmental science and published research on nutrient uptake for plants. During this time, he also managed the EcoDome Lab, where he ran the aquaponic system, which supplied fresh produce and fish to the Loyola Farmers Market. How cool is that? After graduating, he worked for several indoor farm companies, helping them get started. And finally, was an early employee of RISE Gardens, where he works today. At RISE, he is both the Director of Research and Development and a horticulturist, where he is in charge of the RISE lab, focusing on nutrient design, plant growth research, and algorithm development. Welcome to the show today, Angelo. Are you ready to rock hydroponics? Yes, I am. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Yeah, I would love to. So speaking on the ecodome, that's kind of where I dip my toes into urban agriculture. As a young 18-year-old going into college, I was desperately looking to acquire a new personality. And I stumbled across this massive greenhouse structure on campus. And I thought to myself, that'd be cool if I could work there. And so I dug my heels in in school, and I talked to the right people. And I applied three or four times. And eventually, I got accepted into the urban agriculture program
0: under Kevin Erickson. Hold on, there's an urban agriculture program? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah
1: yeah at Loyola University it is nice. it is the best it is the best program there i would say essentially it works with students to develop their agricultural skills and so i was really interested in growing indoors cuz i thought that was cool and i'd seen the mars generation and just like got the basic understandings of how our food system is dependent on land and how it's being overused and such. I, I got some experience growing outdoors as well and started to understand more of the communal aspect and some of the community benefits that growing food in an urban environment can provide. So that's anything from like community gardens to farmer's markets to donation of some of the food that we produced as well as selling it. And so I was really exposed to the world of food with an environmental and sustainability lens, which I feel like Mm -hmm. is super important. And so there I got exposed not to hydroponics, but to aquaponics. I was able to hang out with the tilapia and understand closed loop systems. Uh I really just got excited about how technology can be applied to agriculture and how those can lead to sustainable developments. Can can you just say quickly what aquaponics Uh, aquaponics is? Yeah, yeah. So aquaponics takes two different parts. So there's growing plants in water, which is like the hydroponics aspect. And then there's an aquaculture aspect, which is just basically fish farming. And so essentially what you're doing is you're feeding these fish. Usually people use tilapia and the fish are giving off waste into the water. And Mm -hmm. then the plants that are interacting with that water are taking up those nutrients and cleaning the water for the fish. So, it's a really good input output system. And just from a sustainability perspective, it's like, hey, you can get super fresh tilapia in Chicago
0: harvested that day at the Loyola's farmers market. So, How it was cool. cool. Is that? We actually have an aquaponics course at Urban Farm U. Oh, no way. That's yeah. Awesome. So, if you, if you go to urbanfarm.org, the front page, there's our courses, there's an aquaponics course. So, uh, that's very cool
1: there's a few places that I worked along the ways before getting to Rise. But once I showed up at Rise, it sort of filled that niche of, you know, going from these huge indoor farm systems that are great for certain things, but truly allowing people to grow their own food and have control over their own food system is what really attracted me to the product and also just getting to do science every day with the-
0: awesome for me. Right. Amen to that for sure. Janice tells me there was an epic moment in your origin story about an indoor farm in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first started, there's only three of us.
1: And me and my other coworker, Sully took a trip to Las Vegas to visit some indoor farms. And what really surprised me was the scale of these farms mm-hmm. and how it was functioning more like a factory. It was this, this moment of like, I'm very impressed with the engineering side of things, but at the same time, it was a little off-putting of like, oh, this is just industrial agriculture all over again. Yeah, And so it also sort of cemented the concepts of scale Of agriculture and how you really get a lot more sustainability from agriculture when it's smaller scale. Mm -hmm. So many different reasons. And so that was an aha moment for me.
0: Cool. So you work for a company called Rise. What do you guys do?
1: We manufacture indoor hydroponic farms or gardens. And They look like bookcases, essentially, and on each level, you can grow plants inside. And so the main sort of business model is that we provide you with education, with hydroponic nutrients, and with pre-seeded plant pods to take a lot of the guesswork out of indoor hydroponic gardening. Our CEO and founder, Hank, he started the company because it was basically during the winter time, just like super depressed that he couldn't garden. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was like, I guess I'll try hydroponics. And when he went to the store to and try and find a hydroponic system that fit his needs, they're all kind of like ugly PVCs and everything was targeted towards cannabis. And so for him, it was like, there's this huge educational gap and need for, for garden. And so he wanted to make a very pretty garden so that people would actually wanna
0: live with this garden. So there's a lot of options out there for us to look at the different indoor and outdoor hydroponic systems. I have a tower garden. What question should we be asking ourselves before we jump in and buy one.
1: The very first place I would point someone that's new to indoor gardening would just be the size of the garden. And when I say size, I do mean the actual square footage and the height and everything to make sure it can physically fit it inside your house. But more importantly, I would always recommend people start thinking about what are the actual plants that you want to grow.
0: Uh, Um, And so-
1: there's there's a lot of different types of gardens out there. And most of them are little tabletop units where you can grow things like basil and lettuce. And it's really just used for leafy greens and herbs. Mm -hmm. And those, you can fit on any countertop, obviously. But if you're looking to grow more substantial plants, then you really want to look at what I would call floor units. So these are units that are taking up two to three square feet, they're stacked vertically, and we're talking at least inches from the light. Um, And so what that allows you to do when you have these larger systems, is grow fruiting plants like tomatoes, peppers, plants, etc. Mm-hmm. And the, once you sort of figure out what you want to grow, the next thing is, well, how much of that do you want to grow? And so if you are actually trying to replace your diet and replace like your grocery bill, you might end up needing multiple of these gardens in order mm-hmm. to achieve your goals. And so I would just start, even before you look at these gardens, think about what are your food needs and how can a garden facilitate those needs? Because we get asked a lot because we have these little, we call them blank or experimental pods where you can grow your own seeds, not necessarily the ones we provide. Mm -hmm. And when people are using those, they're like, oh yeah, I put like a pineapple seed in there. And it's yeah. like, oh, that <laughs> that's, that's not going to work. Or they're like, oh, I want to grow an avocado tree. And so there, there is a general sense of scale of plants that you should at least try and investigate before you get started to make sure that you're on the right path forward. So that's kind of just the very first aspect, which is just the shape. There's other important aspects like the lights and the nutrients and stuff like that as
0: well so tell me about your system can you paint a picture of what it looks like how much food you could grow yeah absolutely so
1: we have two different types of gardens that we sell we have the tabletop unit which i described as it's pretty small it's about like one square foot or so it basically They all kind of look like Ikea furniture. That's the design principle that we tried to adopt. The design principle of just this nice light pine wood with this sort of stark white basin that has these interchangeable trays. And then all indoor hydroponic systems, they rely on their lights. Uh, and so we have these specialized LEDs that help to highlight the plants that you're growing. We wanted to focus on modularity. So the other garden that we have, we call it our family garden, is actually interchangeable. You can start with one level and then you can actually add up to two more additional levels on. T- and why we wanted to focus on that modularity is because we understand that for some people, this is an intimidating process of, mm-hmm. uh, growing plants. And so we wanted to allow people to start with a small amount and then upgrade in the future. But essentially our larger garden does kind of look like a bookcase where each of the shelves houses anywhere from 12 to 36 plants. Wow. Uh, Yeah. You can really grow a lot of food in it. And the big thing that we're trying to focus on right now from not only research and development side of things, but also just a communication side of things is basically teaching people how to maximize the growth of their garden. And a lot of the times people will kind of jam everything in there and then it's too compact. And so they learn and they realize, oh, I should space out my tomato plants. So I don't have this thicket of tomatoes. but each of these levels, like I said, can can house 12 to 36 plants, but it's broken up into these tray lids. And what I find nice about our system, I have a background in running larger systems. And so mm-hmm. I tried to talk with the engineering team about some of the important design principles of running a small farm essentially in your house. And one of them is being able to shuffle around your plants. It's really important for spacing wow. them out. Yeah. But the other aspect of the two different types of gardens that we offer is that a tray lid is interchangeable between them. So you can actually start in our tabletop unit, which is called the personal garden and mm-hmm. take that tray lid and put it directly into your family rice garden. And so. We wanted to make sure that people could move around their plants, whether that's for photos or for light needs and stuff like that. But both, both gardens have nice white pine and then these stark white metal trays that hold your plants. It's a floating tray design. So we tried to make sure people were focused on the plants when they were looking at the garden.
0: And what are the different components of an indoor garden?
1: Yeah, yeah. So kind of like I said before, there's there's a few components that you should really focus on when you're looking at hydroponic gardens. The very first one that you should always pay attention to are the lights. So you're growing indoors, so you can't really rely on the power of the sun. Hopefully you've got some southwest facing windows in your home, if not for your own mental health, then the health of your plants. But essentially these plants are always going to be light limited. And so when you're thinking about um, what food are you feeding your plants, even though you're adding these nutrients, the actual food that plants use is light. And a lot of the times these other, other companies will focus on wattage and how much power is going to their lights. But most of the time that doesn't really matter. What really matters is something called photosynthetic active radiation. And that's just a big chunk of sciencey words that basically just mean what is the actual light wavelengths that a plant is using. So it's focused on plant light. And so we tried to make sure whenever we're talking about our systems to refer to our lights in terms of and you know various plants need various ranges but for most indoor gardens you want to reach a 100 to 400 range will suffice for
0: most plants. So that's so that's the light component of this of an indoor system. What are the other components of it?
1: After you get your plant the food it needs
0: to, to actually grow.
1: The next thing is supporting it with all the nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium that it needs. And mm-hmm. so when you're looking at the hydroponic nutrients that you're getting, you should always get nutrients with the garden. If you just did light and water, you're going to have some very yeah. yellow plants. But a lot of people are new to hydroponics and there's a lot of complex chemistry, but it really boils down to a few e-components that will set the beginners to intermediate to advanced growers. And when you look at hydroponics, very different from soil, the nutrients are coming to your plants in a very different way. And because of that fact, you need to pay attention to the pH of your water. When you're doing hydroponics, you have these nutrients that are, they're not really in the most ideal form without the pH component. And what that means is that your nutrients should always come along with some way of controlling or changing or measuring the pH of your water. And to try and quickly summarize what your what your goal is, you're basically trying to lower the pH of your water just a little bit. The ideal data point is 5.8 most of the times but you're trying to lower it just enough so that all of these nutrients that you're adding are actually available to your
0: plant and that's a at a, very, that's at a that's at a pH of 5.8 yes yes wow 5.8
1: so it's pretty acidic your tap water depending on where you live can range a ton but when you are dialing this in and you get it to 5.8 all of these nutrients become available to your plants and one of the most common issues that we'll see from from people who are new to hydroponics is they're adding all their nutrients and stuff and then their plant still looks nutrient deficient and why that is is because they aren't correctly balancing their ph Mm. and basically putting the plant in an environment where it can even consume those nutrients. So even though they're in your water, you have to make sure your pH is correct. And so when you're looking for different hydroponic nutrients or gardens or what have you, you should also be aware that you can't just simply buy the nutrients. You have to understand a little bit what your end goal is with relation
0: to pH and managing your tap water we're having some challenges with our well. We just moved to North Carolina. Ah. And one of the challenges is, and I thought it was going to be a problem for my plants, is our pH coming out of the well is 5.8. Oh,
1: that's great for hydroponics.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that was a valuable piece for me to learn today.
1: Great. Yeah. It might taste funny, but your plants are going to love that water. For speaking on the water too, tons of people have issues with their tap water. So they'll use various water softeners and stuff like that. And we get a lot of questions around like, what's the best water to use? Mm -hmm. Um, And I always try and point it from the perspective of sustainability first. We get a lot of people that are like, oh, well, I'll just use bottled water. And it's like, oh no, you have seven gallons of water you need to continually cycle. Like, like it's just, it's not you know, sustainable yeah. to approach it that way. And so we made sure that our nutrients from RISE were focused on being accessible to any type of tap water. And so by including that pH buffer, as well as focusing on the nutrient blend, um, we tried to position ourselves to have accessible nutrients, I'll say. The the last little bit is truly the structure of the unit. I was saying that our system kind of looks like some IKEA furniture and we spent a lot of time and effort designing the look of our garden because something that I think is super important when picking out a garden is the fact that this is like your new roommate that makes a lot of food for you, I guess. Really nice roommate. Uh Uh Um, But you have to live with this thing. And so the lights can't be too bright and it can't be too loud. And it has to look a certain way that's actually gonna make you want to approach and interact with it. And for some people that's not the case and you can totally DIY a system. Um, but it would just be something that I would bring up to consider when you're shopping around. It's just what's the aesthetics of the garden itself?
0: Yeah. I just pulled up your website, risegardens.com. These are nice looking gardens. Ah, thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're trying to position ourselves as the, the nicer looking garden. Mm-hmm. Um, But that's very objective, so we still get people complaining. But can't please everyone. Oh,
0: there you go. There you go. There you go. So we got our garden. We got it set up. What kind of maintenance does it take, and can we do this all year round?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So as as I said before, when I was talking about my background, I came from a background in more mid-scale to large-scale hydroponics so looking at farms that were producing hundreds of pounds of leafy greens and basil and stuff like that and the one thing that always made me so sad was when we had to clean and it was just the worst day by far and so i i think that for every gardener whether that's indoor outdoor hydroponic whatever Mm -hmm. um, the the annual maintenance and the seasonal maintenance has to fit your lifestyle or else you're Mm -hmm. gonna hate the hobby and whether that's cover cropping outside and mulching and composting or whether you're indoors and you have to perform a deep clean on your system and you got to scrub some nasty parts. Oh. It's it's really important to understand how long is that going to take you and what are the steps that are involved to clean it. We're very used to automated cleanings of our appliances like a dishwasher or oh, yeah. you know an oven where you can just burn stuff off. And so it can be a little shocking when it comes time to clean and you're like, oh, This is kind of gross. And so I would say not to deter any new people, but I would say, you know, just be realistic and expect to take anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour every like, I don't know, let's say six months Mm. to perform a deep clean on your garden. And it's not just to keep things clean but the plants need a semi-sterile environment in order to grow properly. And you're also going to want to refresh your hydroponic water because you'll have plants build up over time. So it's good aesthetically. You don't want people coming over and being like, Oh, your garden's got leaves everywhere. That's kind of gross, but it's also really good for your plants and your plant health and deterring pests and stuff like that so i would always say if you are shopping around pay attention to the physical structure and think through how uh, you're going to physically disassemble this thing and clean it and i love to do research before i buy something and so i would recommend reaching out to that company and asking them how long does it take do you have any videos of someone cleaning this garden so you can kind of understand if one garden is harder to clean than the other.
0: I'm assuming you have those kind of videos on your website.
1: Then. Yeah, yeah, we do. And we also have instructions on how to clean it and stuff. So if someone is interested, we will gladly share those yeah. videos. Some of them I made. So you could see me cleaning a garden nice. <laughs> and being sad again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when I'm on your website and the pricing is quite competitive. I have a tower garden and I know what tower gardens cost. And so I'm impressed with the pricing. You can find out at risegardens.com.
1: Yeah. That's honestly first for me to hear. We usually get people complaining that it's too expensive, but knowing that you have a tower garden, that makes sense just because until you have a product, it's hard to estimate how much one will cost. Uh, But I'll say that with increasing prices of food at grocery stores, I would say that I've run the numbers for rise and I can speak to other indoor farm pricing as well. And when you look at the cost of growing your own food, whether that's outside or inside, it's starting to make a lot more sense financially. It is. And that's kind of across the board, especially when you get into specialty produce. Yeah. Uh, so obviously if you're eating Iceberg lettuce salads and steak every single day, you might not be impacted in the same way. But things like peppers and leafy greens Mm -hmm. and fresh herbs, those are just skyrocketing in pricing. Hopefully, they come down just for the sake of humanity. But at the same time, it should start to get people's gears turning about growing their own food. And when you look at a system like ours, even including the price of the garden, and the continual usage of your electricity bill and your water bill and the price of the pods and the nutrients of all that stuff, you're still gonna be breaking even around six months of using this thing. Oh, wow. Uh, And so it's a bit of an upfront investment for sure, and Mm -hmm. it's not accessible to everyone, but I would highly recommend, if you're not using our system, Figure out a way to grow your own food in some other way. There's many other cost-effective ways of growing your own food. And I think that it's really vital for us as a food system to try and think about our own resiliency.
0: Amen to that, man. Amen to that. (laughs) So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it.
1: Yeah. So I have a very specific story of when I first started at RISE and I brought in some plants from Home Depot to do some experiments with. Yep. Yep. And they infested my entire lab with aphids. And I will be honest with you, it was a heartbreaking experience coming back after a long weekend to find aphids, aphids everywhere. And it was a good reminder from speaking as a scientist and as someone who loves to plan that sometimes the best thing that you can do is to try and anticipate, but sometimes nature just takes over and you just have to (laughs) roll with the punches.
0: Right? Yeah. I wrote this about 20 years ago. Our downfall as a species is that we're arrogant enough to think we can control Mother Nature and stupid enough to think it's our job. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I would say that that directly applies to me and, and
0: that experience as well. Yeah, right? And what do you consider your biggest success?
1: Oh, I think that I don't know if this is my biggest success, but one of my favorite successes is I worked with a small charter school in Chicago to get a classroom full of students growing a basil plant. And I have not been this happy in a very long time, but this, this, I think they were third graders, kept interrupting this Zoom meeting we were on because she was so excited that her basil had sprouted and that she did something and just the dear look of love on Mm -hmm. her face that she had accomplished something it struck me straight through the zoom meeting like i'm not even in the same room as this person and it was just a powerful experience and a good reminder that plants can have that effect on people
0: Light people up, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's part of why I do what I do.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: to Light people up about this stuff. What drives you?
1: I think what drives me the most is thinking about food waste. It just makes me so Mm. upset. And the figures and the data points I've learned from school really, I would say, motivate me, but also can be a little disheartening sometimes. But I think it's an important problem for us to
0: tackle as a society. And if you could one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: Yeah. So I recently finished a book about houseplants that I really enjoyed called The New Plant Parent by Daryl Chang. It's a very modern to taking care of houseplants, but he does an amazing job of creating this detailed diary around how to care for a plant. And I think that Coming from someone that is just on the edge of being a millennial, I think that plant parenthood is something that a lot of my friends and relatives and people that I work with are into. And I feel like this book has a really good foundational knowledge for people mm-hmm. looking to care for their houseplants.
0: Nice. Yeah. And that, that could definitely be overlapped onto edibles, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, lettuce, Talks about light. Yeah.
0: And yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a plant, a house plant's a house plant. Just yeah. sometimes <laughs> it's it a big garden plant, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: So I try to think about what really motivates me and how I feel about food systems. And I feel like being self sufficient should always lead back to community. I think that we can support ourselves and support our own food systems, but ultimately making any lasting change always requires the help of others. That doesn't necessarily mean you need an entire town of people, but that could be your neighbor or even your family members. I -hmm. think that community is one of the most powerful tools that we have as human beings.
0: Awesome. 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 Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Angelo. Yeah, thank you. And how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, so if you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rise Gardens, we have a great community there. I host monthly Ask Me Anythings, as well as we're launching a new educational series that keeps coming out. And so if you're looking to interact with me through one of those, or just interact with our Rise community, looking us up on Facebook and Instagram is the best best way to do that. Right. Your website is risegardens.com.
0: Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash risegardens. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for
1: tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org.